Do you think that you're able to reveal your latke's secret ingredient? When we get to a certain level of subscribers, we will post the secret ingredient. What level of subscribers do we need to get to? Wow, the gauntlet has been thrown down. From the Jewish Food Society, I'm Amanda Dell, and this is Schmaltzy. Each Schmaltzy podcast episode revisits a personal story told at a Jewish Food Society live event. Pull up a front row seat to hear the original live stories from the stage. Then we'll go behind the tales with the storytellers for more. Today on Schmaltzy, Liz Newmark. Liz is a chef and the founder of Great Performances, an award-winning catering and event company that she started as a waitress staffing agency for women in the arts. In 2006, Liz established Katchke Farm in Kinderhook, New York, and founded the Sylvia Center, a nonprofit organization dedicated to addressing issues in children's health. Liz is a third-generation Manhattanite and was named one of the 100 most influential women in New York City business by Cranes New York. Some stories you just don't want to stop in the middle. And this is one of those stories. So today we are going to break with the Schmaltzy podcast tradition and listen to Liz's entire story before she joins us in the studio. Here's Liz from the Schmaltzy stage at the New York City Wine and Food Festival where she shared a very personal story about loss, living in the moment, and resilience. So about 20 years ago, my catering business was really starting to take off, and it was such an exciting time. We had just moved into a great facility in Hudson Square, and we're beginning to expand within that footprint We had signed a contract with Ian Schrager, and we were operating the Hudson Hotel, so we were really cool. And uh, and every day was a combination of meeting with customers and clients and internal planning and, of course, events. And all this was really great, Um, but for the fact that I also had four young children at home under the age of 10, and my husband constantly worked late, and when he wasn't working late, he was traveling. So, as you can imagine, it was really hard to find balance in my life trying to juggle work and home. So I realized really early on that the key to my success, both privately, personally, and professionally, was to create a schedule and a routine and stick to it. Now, I knew about planning because I was from the event world, where everything has a plan, and a timeline, and you stick to it. No deviation. I had waited a really long time to become a parent, and I did not want to be an absentee mom. So most days, I took my children to school, raced downtown, flew home at the end of the day in order to join them right at dinner time, and then we would do baths and story time. And, uh, you know, that was the routine. Heels off, sweatpants on. And after they went to sleep, I would, of course, get back online and get back to work and try to finish up whatever I'd started that day. And sometimes I even went out to parties. So one winter night started out like most. 
except this night I had a really big presentation to finish, a deadline for a client. So I got home, we did the baths, and they're ready for story time. And I'm kind of thinking, let's get this done so I can get back to work. And Nell and Katie, my nine and uh, eight-year-old daughters, were in their room. They were playing and chatting and waiting for me to finish up with the little two and get to them. Sam, who was eight, and Sylvia, no, Sam was five, uh, and Sylvia, the baby, three, had picked out one of their favorite books uh, called A Story for Lena. And in the book, Lena's grandma shares a family fable about apple strudel. So how can I describe what happens next? Uh, You know the book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie? It was that kind of thing. Well, talking about apple strudel, we started thinking about apples. And talking about apples, of course, led directly to applesauce. And at the mention of applesauce, little Sylvia's green eyes lit up. And she looks at me and she says, why don't we make latkes right now and we can eat them with applesauce? Okay, so let me tell you about latkes in my family. It's not a special event food. It is not just for Hanukkah. Uh, It's kind of like peanut butter and jelly. Uh, But it's not, because peanut butter and jelly is really quick. Latkes is, you need all the ingredients, and it makes a mess, and you need a lot of time, and then you got to clean up. And I'm thinking, i got to get back to work. And she's looking at me like... And then Sam starts in. Now, Sam grew up to become his high school debating team champion. So, okay, he tells me they're hungry. He says, Mom, we'll do it really quickly, and we're going to help you clean up. And you know what? Tomorrow night, we will skip stories, and we will go to bed early. And you know what? We're starving. And Sylvia's just egging him on and looking at me, and I'm thinking... So, of course, I said yes. And off to the kitchen we go, and all the ingredients come out, and with their expert and eager little hands, they get started, and Sam's peeling the potatoes, and they're taking turns putting into the Cuisinart and grating the onion, and Sylvia's cracking the eggs on the bowl and mixing in the flour and the seasoning, and she's starting to stir And it's exactly what you'd expect for cooking with a three-year-old. There are uh, eggshells in the batter, and the flour is everywhere, especially all over her pajamas. And she's just chattering away and surreptitiously dropping little treats on the floor for the cat. Uh, It was great. And lo and behold, latkes are fried, out comes the applesauce, and the feast began. So, with full bellies and uh, a sink filled with dirty dishes, they finally march off to bed, really, really self-satisfied and just reeking of cooking oil. And it was a perfect night. So, a few short years later, about four years later, the unexpected happened. We were upstate uh, at our neighborhood celebration one August night, when Sylvia starts running to me, uh, complaining of a really, really terrible headache. I took her right home, and my best friend, who's a doctor, came along with us. 
We got home. Uh, she collapsed and lost consciousness. We raced to the hospital, and they told us it was an aneurysm, that there was nothing that we could do. Uh, she was put on life support. And uh, two days later, my beautiful, sweet daughter was gone. So there really are no words. It's nothing you could describe. I wish that the earth could open me up and just swallow me whole. Uh, but I had three young children who needed a strong mother and father to steady their world. So I got up and got out of bed every single morning. When I did my shopping, I would sometimes go down to the green market, and what I discovered was when I was there, I sort of was able to escape my pain. Somehow, being with the vegetables and the agriculture and all that life just was very healing. Now, that summer, uh, I had been taking Sam and Sylvia with me every week to a Putnam County farm to pick up our CSA share. And I'll never forget, there's one week we're there, and um, they are playing in the dirt with the bugs and the rocks at my feet, and I'm talking to Farmer Fuad, and I tell him, you know, I really wish I could have a farm of my own. And Sam looks up at me, and he says, big dreams. So a few months after Sylvia's death, I woke up one morning, and I knew what I had to do. I turned to my husband, and I said, we are going to buy a farm, and we are going to create a legacy for Sylvia. Sylvia, who really, more than anything else, wanted to become a helpful human. And had she had the chance, she would have done something really remarkable. So we, bought, we started a company, and we called it Big Dreams. And we bought land, started our farm, which was home to the Sylvia Center where kids come and they learn about healthy eating and good food because we teach them how to cook. Now, kids learn by doing. So when I'm there and I'm watching these kids and they are cracking eggs and laughing and chopping vegetables and cooking together and eating together, you know what? I feel Sylvia's spirit and the joy and everything wonderful and good about the world that she really embodied. And that year, we started a Latka Festival uh, as a fundraiser for the Sylvia Center. Now, yes, it's a little odd, a fried food festival for a healthy eating program, but it's really a great event. And it's 11 years later, hundreds of people come, celebrity judges, music, lots and lots of latkas, and it is a night of joy, of celebration, of community. And you know what? It's the best night of the year. It reminds me of that night many, many years ago when I could have said, no, it's bedtime. And instead, I chose to say yes. Thank you. Hi, Liz. Hi. <laughs> what a powerful story. We are so honored to have you in the studio with us today. I'm really honored to be here. And um, I haven't heard that story since we told it. 
uh, at the event last year. Yeah, New York City Wine and Food Festival. Right, right, a, a century ago. Thank you again for sharing such a poignant schmaltzy story and being so vulnerable on stage. What drove you to tell that story in front of an audience? You know, there's a few parts to the answer. I think there's two parts. One is what drove me. And then the second is when Lee Schrager, the organizer of the Wine and Food Festival, told me about the program and said, be great if you had a story. Um, and I first pitched the idea. It was to raise eyebrows. Like, could we tell such a sad story? And that sort of dovetails with why I think it's important to tell the story, because one of the things I've learned is that life is not perfect. Life is complicated, and it's messy. And uh, we certainly see that in this current environment now. And that I think everybody carries a story. I have mine. I've realized that I'm not alone uh, being a parent who lost a child, a bereaved parent as we call it. So I think we should not be afraid of telling sad stories, but it's also a very uplifting story in the power of, of the human spirit. It's a schmaltzy story for sure. <laughs> Isn't that what schmaltz is? Exactly, you know? exactly. Oh, you laugh, you cry, you know, you, you want to hide, you want to run outside. It's everything. It's life. It's life. And I think it is these challenges that, uh, that define people. Definitely. So now your kids are, are older. But, yeah. You know, in the story... We hear about the bedtime routine that is the finish line for most parents' daily parental duties. <laughs> On some level, I can imagine you were, you know, probably looking forward to some me time as well, though, you know, on those nights. So so really, what went through your head when your kids, you know, asked you for this bedtime latka party? Oh, I'll tell you, essentially, I'm a pushover. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when it comes to my kids, especially as a working mom, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think they'll say if you ask them to rate me how strict I was or, or was not. I don't think they would think I was terribly strict, but they were really good kids. You know, and I'm, I, I started my kids, you know, when I was in my 30s, in mid 30s. Uh, so, you know, it, it's the illusion of control has long since disappeared from my life. And I don't think I had it then. So, when kids are really their authentic self and you see their personalities emerging, and I always thought better to have them gang up together and feel that power that they have than me to try to deflect it. So when they get their act together and make a credible pitch, I might not cave instantly, but I know I'm going to give in. That, that's so funny that you mentioned that because... That's the unsaid rule that I have with my sister. It's always us versus them, and we never stray from that. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting that you thought about cultivating that within your own children. But still, bring me back to that moment for just one second. They're hanging on you. They're begging for the latkes. You have a presentation that you want to work on. Like, 
was there a big decision in your head or it was like instant? You said, you know what? I'm just going to do it. You know, I think I was a little resistant just because I think that's important. (laughs) (laughs) You know, not to cave to instantly. But I, 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 I knew we were going there because, you know what, it was a treat for me. You know, to have to have that special moment with your kids is is you know incredible, and uh, you know sooner or later they grow up, they move out, life happens, mm-hmm. life intervenes. Uh, you know, you don't you don't regret, and it wasn't a ridiculous request. It was right. just so juicy and so <laughs> perfect and so in character with everything about us uh, that it was it was just great. Another fascinating piece that I picked up on from your story, at least to me, was that you said latkes weren't only a Hanukkah food. Mm-hmm. You know, in our family, it was as common as PB&J. <laughs> uh, how did that come to be? That's a good question. Um, they're just so delicious. And we do have a secret ingredient. There's no reason why people shouldn't make latkes more often. A little, A little messy, but Making a lot of different things are messy. Baking is messy. But latkes are so delicious. Liz. Yes. <laughs> do you think that you're able to reveal your latkes secret ingredient? <sighs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's you No know, pressure. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's not up there with truffles and things that come from the dark side of the moon. It's, it's, it's really not exotic. So I got to marinate on that one. Okay, we'll check back in with you. Don't okay. worry. Or lock is something you grew up eating in your own family when you were a child. My mom, I was, uh, I'm one of four. My mother only learned how to cook when we all got married or moved out. So, no, they were the world's <laughs> worst latka. My mother did not enjoy anything about cooking. You know, I always say it was 16 before I knew the difference between light meat and dark meat in a chicken. Do you think that that part of your childhood inspired you to become a chef? When did you discover your interest in like food? Like real food? When did I discover <laughs> even real food? I had, uh, we grew up in a very multi-generational family. So my grandparents I grew up really super close to all four and my great-grandmother. Uh, and we spent a lot of time in the summers. Everybody sort of lived together. Um, one of my grandmothers, my, what we call her, my Russian grandmother, Nellie, uh, who my eldest is named for, Nell, she was a very intuitive cook. And if you asked her what the ingredients were, she would say, a pinch, a touch, you know, this and that, you know, sort of floundering around on some kitchen table making her things. So I knew what home-cooked food looked like. We just would have to go out to get it, you know, to one of our grannies. And this was in Manhattan, where your family mm-hmm, lived? Mm-hmm. On the west side. We come across a lot of recipes that are like a pinch of this and like one teacup of this. So that's, you know, that's part of what we're doing here at Jewish Food Society, trying to capture those. That was beautiful. There are things I I wish I knew how my grandmother, Nellie, uh, made them. I I wish I knew her ingredients, but I don't think she knew. You know, it's like, okay, let me let me improvise. I mean, she's the perfect chef for today when we think about full utilization of ingredients because nothing went in the garbage. I can imagine that. So at the Sylvia Center, the nonprofit you started in Sylvia's memory, children learn to cook. What have you learned from watching children cook? You know, it's a, the kitchen is really a magical place. You know, I always 
<laughs> when I talk to parents and adults about cooking with kids in 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 the kitchen, I always quote Miss Frizzle. Oh yeah, right, the, from school, the magic, magic school, school of us. Okay. And, and, and you know what her motto was? Remember what she said? No. Get messy. Make mistakes. And that, to me, should be the motto of being in the kitchen with kids. It's not about control. If you're squeamish about a mess, don't go in. If you're, you know, if you, if you can't stand failure, don't go in. I mean, there's basic rules. You got to wash your hands. You know how you handle a knife. You stay away from the stove. I mean, you you want to establish that it's got to be a safe environment. But within that context, it's it's a place for for fun and and learning, and it's it's where you fall in love with ingredients and flavors and tastes. And the most amazing thing that happens afterwards is, and we do this at the Sylvia Center, maybe not. Uh, during COVID, uh, but before and after, that we sit together as a community and we eat. And I will say one of the, <laughs> maybe it's an indirect legacy of my mother's not really caring about the food itself. She really cared about the table. And the emphasis was on, on coming together uh, and being together and the conversations and the multi-generational give and take that happened. Food, okay, that was a detail she just wasn't into, <laughs> which is fine. But the tables looked gorgeous. My mother, who died about three years ago, probably could use a different dish three times a, a, for every single meal for the rest of you know eternity and never use the same dish twice. Uh, she had a lot of stuff. And loved setting a beautiful table. So, you know, everybody has a little different aesthetic when it comes to it. But I, I, I have meandered. No, I, I, love, <laughs> I love just picturing her cupboards. Uh, could... Amazing, amazing, amazing. Sets upon sets upon sets of everything. Um, well, before, before we get to the table, I was, you know, thinking about another part of your story that, that struck me. As you were grieving, you said that the green market was a place of incredible comfort for you. Why do you think that that was? And what was it about the green market? Yeah. And it was the fall. So August, September, October, which is really the most beautiful peak season. You've got just fall vegetables colliding with end of summer. And of course, there's tomatoes and peppers and you know, people fight for their harvests and, and things happen and Mother Nature comes in and upsets all your plans for the growing season. Or it's really this microcosm of, of, of what we have is in, in our human lives. There's something life affirming about seeing how nature works and that seasons turn one from the other. And, and, you know, being there was also a place to escape, you know, out of uh, a community or where people knew me and just would look at me with sad eyes and stuff like that. And the vegetables didn't do that. <laughs> and and I could engage with the farmers. And it, I don't know. It was just a, a refuge that was strangely comforting. You end your story with a very powerful line. Before I ask you a one last question. I want to replay that part of the story one more time. Okay. It reminds me of that night 
many, many years ago, when I could have said, no, it's bedtime. And instead, I chose to say yes. Thank you. Today, we're living in a time where the boundaries between family life and work have never been so blurred. And parents are constantly having to make a choice like you did that night. What advice would you give them as they navigate these hard decisions? That's a great question. And really nobody ever wants advice on parenting. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't offer it. (sighs) You know, I think there was... um, the head of the school where my children went, Miranda Shirovsky at the Heschel School, used to say that choosing a school was a values clarification test. And that phrase has really resonated with me. I think these decisions we make day in, day out, there's times the kids push your buttons and you're just ready to lock them in a closet and throw away the key. And, you know, you just can't control your emotions. Um, and that's that's very real, especially I think when you were on top of them and there's all the uncertainty and it's a very stressful time to be doing anything, no less parenting. But when you can get ahead of your emotions, if you can, you know, you, you have to sometimes just count to 10 and run that value clarifications test. I'm a parent because, you know, and, and just knowing that not only that life is fragile, you know, you can't live with that every moment, but but just knowing that they're going to grow up and they're going to be out of the house and it's going to be gone. So these are moments that we never get back. So sometimes you just have to dig deep, find that little extra bit of patience if you can, and uh, try to say yes, I guess. Liz, thank you once again for sharing your story. And for being on the Schmaltzy podcast. It's a real honor to be here with you. And thank you for letting me tell the story. I really, that, that, that means a lot. It's one I think about often, to be honest. Well, I will give you the secret ingredient <laughs> off stage <Okay. laughs> when we're done. And maybe as encouragement to your listeners, when we get to a certain level of subscribers, we will post the secret ingredient. What level of subscribers do we need to get to? Wow. The gauntlet has been thrown Absolutely. down by Liz Newmark <laughs> on the Schmaltzy podcast. Liz will be giving us her secret latka ingredient. This is a person who's cooked latkes at the James Beard Foundation. She has a latka festival. She will be giving us the secret ingredient. So you better tell all your friends, download and listen. You can get it anywhere you get your podcasts. Good deal. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> Happy Hanukkah to you too. Schmaltzy is a production of Jewish Food Society, made with love in NYC. We want to hear from you, our listeners all around the world. Send us your thoughts, comments, or questions. Just record a voice memo right on your phone and email it to hi at jewishfoodsociety.org. Also, we're new. Be a mensch and rate us on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you get this show. Schmalti is produced and edited by Elon Benatar. Our executive producer is Nama Sheffi, and our theme music is by Yuval Semo. Until next time, I'm your host, Amanda Dell. Oh, the